a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to get right into things today. I have Derek Dotson with me. He is the founder and CEO of The Black Sanctuary. Derek is a longtime public servant with more than 20 years of experience in both law enforcement and private security. Following the deaths of multiple Black Americans in 2020, Derek felt there was a lack of guidance from the media and established and informed leaders in response to fatalities involving police. Derek began sharing his career knowledge with companies and private citizens as he believed if people understood more about policing and the use of force, interactions with police would be more productive and uneventful. As a black man with the experience of being a law enforcement use of force instructor, teaching similar skills that have killed many black Americans, including a loved one, Derek presents a unique dual perspective. He has been the subject of dozens of traffic stops and has been the subject of stop and frisk. The dynamics of these experiences combined with his expertise make for an intriguing yet educational perspective. So welcome, Derek. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, we've had a couple chats. Uh, we talked for a while, uh, extended uh, period on the phone. Um, I like some of the stuff that you're putting out. I think it's really good messaging. Uh, especially in the school. So I'm glad to have you on here. Um, I think this will be a really productive conversation and you know, maybe it'll get you uh, some more opportunities up in Canada, not just the US. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd absolutely love that. So um, maybe we can start at the beginning because I think you have a, a very interesting life story. Um, and as we had spoken about before, uh, can you kind of talk to us about where you come from and growing up and Maybe in there, you kind of talk about your interactions with police. Sure, sure. So, you know, when I, so I'm originally from New York and um, I, I had the experience of, you know, my parents actually grew up in the South. Um, you know, my father was from Florida. My mother uh, came up in Alabama. Uh, they very much grew up during that time of uh, very intense civil rights. And they, you know, once they moved to New York, we had a very, different experience as far as their perspective in regards to law enforcement and police. Uh, my parents, most of my family never really trusted the police. And so mm. it was really uh, having that type of perspective very early on about, you know, police interaction or who the police are, what they do, what they could possibly do to you, um, how black Americans are seen, et cetera. That, you know, I had that type of interaction very early on with my own family um, unfortunately, some of my family um, spent some time in and out of jail and prison, not my immediate family, but some of my extended family. And so having that type of experience and seeing what they went through, their perspective, kind of, you know, it, it kind of, it, especially as a kid, it pushes you in a certain direction and, and not having any other type of guidance, that's it. And that's what a lot of people come up with. They either have uh, what they hear, um, their own opinions that they form or they see something in the news or the news media now, nowadays, social media. Yeah. And, but back then it was just what I heard and what I, what I saw and what I was taught. Fast forward. I had my very first traffic stop when I was 16 and 
it was scary to me because of all the things that I heard. And, you know, I, I was at a T intersection, came to a T intersection, stopped. At least I thought I stopped, made a right turn. Um, I get lit up and next, I mean, the officer came out of nowhere. I swear I looked both, both ways. Don't know where he came from. <laughs> He's behind me. I pull over and, and I'm doing the things that I think I'm supposed to do. So he comes up. He's like, you know, uh, I need your license and registration. I'm like, yes, sir. And he kind of looks at me a little bit weird. I gave him my permit. I didn't have a license. I had a permit. And he looks at it and says, oh, you don't even have a license. This is the permit. Um, and he looks closer and says, this permit is expired. I'm like, oh, sir, I had no idea. And he kind of looks at me a little weird again and says, uh, where, do, where do you live? And I said, uh, I live you know, right, right by, behind here. And he was like, so you don't have a license and you're running stop signs in your own neighborhood. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to jail. Yeah. Like, forget about it. And, um, and so I was like, sir, I, I apologize. And again, he looks at me a little bit weird and he uh, takes the permit. He says, I'll be right back. He leaves, comes back and he sits, he looks at me for like, it feels like a few seconds, but he looks at me and says, are your parents in the military? And I say, no, sir. Why? He says, because no one around here ever calls me, sir. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I'm like, sir, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. You know, I, you know, I just wanted to interact and be you know, appropriate. And he says, I'm going to let you off um, because, you know, I appreciate how you you know, spoke to me. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I'm going to let you off, but you're going to park this car and you're not going to drive it again until you get a license. You understand? I was like, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Turned around and went home. That changed a lot for me just because of that interaction. And I saw the, the difference of what I was taught. And I just wanted to try something that day. I was like, well, what if I don't do these things that I was taught that it didn't feel right anyway? Mm. Like, hey, don't talk to police. Don't go around them. If you do, you're a snitch, that type of thing. And so once I decided to try something different and it worked, like, okay, maybe there's something to this. And you know, having that, that type of experience very early on sat with me and, and it really did teach me a lot very early on. And so, you know, thinking about that, you know, as I have pursued uh, this, this experience in the Black Sanctuary, um, you know, it keeps coming back to me as I continue to talk to young people and parents about these types of things. So that's a little bit about me growing up and how I kind of ended up here. What um, maybe kind of insight for some people, um, what were your, your parents telling you back in those days like just don't trust police or or is it kind of like you see now where people say you know um i don't know if you get stopped by the police you're basically going to get shot on a traffic stop so there's like these extremes was it kind of the same back then has anything changed to today's narratives uh, they don't seem like they've changed very much that's a very good question i think the majority of what i was taught was yes you can't trust the police mm -hmm. um, at all Right. It's and, and you have seen some of that. Uh, and there was reason to believe that some of these things would happen because they have happened. Um, even today, some of these things happen where, um, you know, officers aren't always doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the good thing about that is that, you know, they're, it's being handled. Right. People are addressing these things, so whether they're through complaints or legal action, whatever it is. That's great. And that brings back public trust. But uh, back then, nobody was really at least you didn't see that happening as often as you see now. Now there's more cameras, there's no more video uh, about that. But yes, my parents were very much the, 
um, yeah, you know, you can't trust the cops, you know, that type of thing. And then, of course, when you're taking advice from people that have been, you know, my extended family, some of them uh, that were in and out of, you know, uh, jail or prison. Yeah. And that's your advice, right? Like you, you're going to see it a certain way. You're not going to see it the way that uh, you would hope someone, you're not going to get an objective perspective on this type of thing. And so it was very much the, you know, you can't trust, you know, this, uh, this type of situation. And, um, and I think that can be detrimental uh, very much because, you know, if that's a young person's interaction mm-hmm. uh, with family members or whoever you're being taught by, uh, whatever guardian that you might have, and then all of a sudden you interact with police, it could turn into a very dangerous situation pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they don't know any different until you have someone tell someone different. And that's something that, uh, again, these types of things, they stick with me now as I continue to talk to people about these things these days. So you... um can you talk a bit about you had a family member that was actually killed by police? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure, sure. It was it was a tough situation just because um, you know that uh, I was in law enforcement at the time, mm. and you know he he and I I'll just call him uh, JT. Uh, he and I grew up together. Uh, he actually funny he he and I look more alike than my siblings do. Uh, we had like we really had like favored each other you know yeah and um and it was no mistaken that we were related so we grew up uh together and he you know we one of us went down a different one path and the other went down another um he first was arrested and did uh was sentenced to prison when i was 17 he was a year a year and a half older mm-hmm. and um he, so he ended up going to prison early for he did a i think a three to nine stretch got out in three uh, and it was uh i think it was an attempted robbery and he you know and i went to college at that point he got out um, i think my sophomore my sophomore year no yeah got out my sophomore year ended up getting in a little bit of trouble again, not a little bit, another very serious crime that he was involved in, went back and did a six to 12, got out in six. Wow. And now I'm in law enforcement by this time. And he, the next time he got out, it was different. He was doing really well. Um, I saw him the Christmas uh, before he was killed. He was, I saw him during Christmas. He was killed that following April. And I was in law enforcement at that point. I was home. Uh, he had a job, he had an apartment, he got his GED, uh, you know, he was spending time with his kids. Everything seemed to be going great. And, and I remember him saying, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great, we don't want you to go back. And it sounds like you're doing the right thing. Fast forward, you know, I get up, you know, and I had been in touch with him a few times between Christmas and when he was killed. So in April, that uh, following year, he ends up, you know, he's at my mother's house. You know, again, everybody's really happy to see that he's doing well. She gave him a lot of, you know, like he didn't even know what thread count was. She gave him brand new sheets for his bed and, um, you know, had a freezer. She had a freezer full of uh, meat that she had just went shopping and she was like, take what you want, you know, gave him, you know, uh, food. He had, she likes to shop on QVC back then. And so she had a bunch of boxes in the house of like pots and pans, gave him all this stuff. Right. And people were just, you know, we were just really proud of him. He leaves. He ends up getting pulled over. He had um, he gets pulled over because they're actually looking for him. Oh. Um, side sidebar: He had a, a negative interaction with someone earlier uh, in the day in regards to 
there was a, a dispute and allegedly there was a firearm that he was in possession of uh, that I believe he brandished. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up doing a search for him. They had a warrant out for him. They pulled him over. He knew there was a gun in the car. He decided, you know, that he wasn't going back mm-hmm. and he decided to uh, resist and he continued to fight the police officers, ended up um, reaching into the car uh, to retrieve the firearm. They tased him. Didn't work. The shirt was kind of thick. Taser got, and the prongs got stuck in his shirt. Mm-hmm. And he was able to retrieve the firearm. He actually pointed it at one of the officers um, at, at their head. And luckily that officer moved his head in time. Uh, but, you know, I guess you can, like you can probably imagine, a gun going off that close to your face probably feels like you were shot. Yeah. This officer falls. The other officer goes to take uh, cover behind the vehicle, ends up shooting him in the back. And he takes off, start running, starts running, firing back at the officers. They did what they were trained to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to their feet and they returned fire, hitting them multiple times. And he, you know, he, he died. And, you know, these are types of things that we see and that we hear in law enforcement, right? Like we hear these types of reports. We see these types of things. We're like, oh, that's, that's terrible. When you imagine it's someone that you love and mm-hmm. someone that you, that, you know, you had, these all of these personal experiences with you know man that's a it's it's a different situation because now i'm on both sides of it yeah like i said i understand what those officers did i i get it i would have done the same thing on the other hand it it almost felt like an affront to me because he tried to kill someone that was just doing their job Mm -hmm. and you know he could have stopped those you know men from going home to their families uh because of you know something he was involved in there's two sides of things, right? And, you know, I was very torn. And, you know, it wasn't just like the law enforcement folks that are like terrible guy that tried to kill cops. Mm-hmm. It's not just the family that's just feeling the loss and saying police are horrible. You know, I'm, I'm feeling the, I'm torn yeah. you know, in this type of situation. And, you know, but it really said a lot to me at that point about there's, there's more to the story. And I remember explaining, uh, you know, I remember explaining, um, I actually wrote a column, not a column, but it was um, like a, a blog post. I was responding to all of these accusations about my family. Like, these are the things that happen. Oh, you guys must be terrible people. Um, I bet you they're all criminals. Oh, really? All of these things. I had no idea yeah. that I was in law enforcement doing the things that I was doing in the community. Some things that had never been done before in, in my state. And so, you know, I gathered myself and I wrote I remember crying while I, while I was writing this, you know, and I was saying, you know, like, first of all, I started off, I was like, I'm a law enforcement officer and I'm also this man's cousin. And I explained a little bit what I explained to you. Mm. He and I grew up together, but, you know, we, we took on different, different paths and, you know, he, he did the things that he did. I've lived in, I'm living this life that I'm living now. Um, decisions have to be made um, early on about these things. And I remember the, the uh their response to that from the community just like people were like oh my god i had no idea mm-hmm. you know that that you know his family's law enforcement were saying all these horrible things and next thing you know this like the conversation shifts again a lot of these things are all these things that happen kind of make me who i am today and seeing what people need to learn 
about both sides of things. Yeah. And it helped me become more objective in, in my approach to explaining these things to people. And, you know, these things I, I don't happen, you know, it doesn't happen for, you know, any, just no reason. I feel like these things happen to me because now I'm in a place and at a time where I can actually relate mm -hmm. to these types of situations that some people will only see on television or some people might only experience on one side of things or the other, but not both. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's a good outlook to have because if you, some people have something happens to them and they get in these situations and they just think the worst of it and they don't look for solutions. They don't look for ways to improve things. They just complain or say things that maybe aren't true. Um, but if you can make something out of it, you know, okay, this happened to a family member. Maybe we can teach some people some things out of this, make it better for them. Um, that's definitely hard to do, but it's that initiative, right? That Taking that initiative and having some control over the situation, you take that back. And now I think that keeps you from getting in a, maybe in a state of depression or whatever else you might be coming across. One thing I was wondering too is, um, what do you think? Like, so, so you're saying your cousin was doing good and everybody sees like he's, he, everything's going well, but what would keep him uh, in that scenario where he's, you know, he's doing good, but he's still got a gun on him and ends up having this interaction. So was there other things still going on behind the scenes? Like it's, it's that hard to get out of that lifestyle? I, I assume it is for, for a lot of people. Mm. You know, you live a certain way for a long time. And, you know, the way our, our minds work, you know, we, we attach to the things that are, are routine for us. Um, you know, we get up, you and I probably put a wallet in our pocket every day. Um, you know, people like us that are armed also, even off duty, you might carry off duty. You know, I do. And so it's, you know, or I did and I, I continue to, mm -hmm. right? That's something that just makes sense to me. I think a lot of these folks that, you know, when you engage in a certain lifestyle, no matter whether it's great or, you know, whether you're doing something criminal, it's something that you, it's hard. It's a hard habit to break. And for whatever reason, I still don't know the reason why he might have had a firearm on him. I don't okay. know what he was involved in at that time. I, I was in college. Uh, I'm not in college. I was in college the second time that he went to prison. Mm -hmm. um, the first time, you know, in, yeah, the third time was, well, this last in situation was when I was in law enforcement. And, you know, even those times, I had no idea he was involved in some of these things. Um, I remember the second time he went back, uh, I was in college. And that was a tough situation. That was a really tough situation because my father had given him a job mm. and the, the situation took place on my father's rental property. And so it was a bad situation for him, for my dad. And, but it was also happening at a bad time. My uncle was murdered uh, a few days before. Um, my mother's brother was um, murdered a few days before. JT goes back, uh, gets locked up again. A few days after that, my cousin Butch was killed. Wow. Uh, it, this all happened in about 10 days. And again, imagine feeling that torn. And now I'm in college at this point, you know, he, getting all of this news back to back to back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's some of these things you, you wonder, like, you know, and I remember actually one of my friends asked me at the time, like, how did you manage to not get involved in that, man? And, you know, and again, these are a lot of these things are decisions. And there are some key things that I remember happening that made me think a little bit differently about the type of person I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I remember talking to my friend about that. Like, I remember my 
some of my my aunts, you know, my cousins' mothers, I would ask them, hey, how's he doing? And it was sometimes it was the look on their face when they would say, ah, he's all right. Yeah. I did not like that. I did not ever want anybody to talk to me, talk about me yeah. that way. Like they pity me, you know? And I just remember like looking at them whenever I would ask, hey, how's he doing? Uh, it's all right. I'm like, oh. Well, that disappointment, that's a pretty motivating yes. factor too. You don't want to disappoint your parents. For me, it was. Yeah. 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 And, and, and more so for anything, it's just, I wouldn't, uh, I felt like I had enough pride in myself, even at that time, that I did not want to be seen that way. You know, I wanted to be a better, a better person. I wanted to do something different. Even then, again, I knew that was something that was wired to me that, that way. And that was, that was a big motivating factor. It, it absolutely was. And so, you know, a lot of these things happen early on that uh, just as part of, you know, my childhood, my teenage years, and even my early years uh, in law enforcement that it, it took around, took this turn. Now I look at things and it, it, it actually helps me uh, be able to connect with people in a different way. What um, what did your family say, like when your cousin gets killed and you're in law enforcement? Do people come to you looking for reasoning and answers, or do they get mad at you or anything like that? No one got mad. No one got mad. Um, you know, I think that would be the uh, assumption because that that's a lot of what happens today. Yeah, um, people get upset. Uh, they get uh, they they turn it on law, all law enforcement like you had something to do with it as if you're not an individual as if you don't live in a different state mm-hmm. or a different city or a different or a different country yeah. um, or in a different country uh, like you know like you're in um, yeah. you know people don't realize that you know we're just different people so it's 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 really interesting how how people perceive that but it didn't it didn't happen at that time it didn't bother me uh, that much i remember people making a couple of statements you know again why I talk about some of the things that I, I talk about. I remember one of my relatives were like, Hey, well, why couldn't they just shoot the gun out of his hand? Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, there's several reasons for that, yeah. you know, and, and on top of that, it's a self-defense situation. And, um, he didn't give them, you know, that type of, uh, courtesy in any type of situation either. Right. And, you know, then you get the response, well, that's your family. And like, yeah, but this is also, that, and if I'm that other officer, that's my life. Yeah. And I want to go home. All right. So you have these conversations and, and again, you have to explain this stuff to people that you, you would think certain things would, would be just, I don't want to say common sense. It would seem like it would naturally occur to you. I guess it was a nicer way of saying it, Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, but we, I have these conversations to this day where, you know, people see these situations like, well, why did the police officer shoot him that way? And depending on the situation, Nathan, you know, I'm very honest mm-hmm. and I'm saying like, I, I think that officer was very tolerant because I probably would have shot him about 15 seconds earlier. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, and I say that I'm very honest because I'll, I'll explain the use of force, the use of force model, the policies, the procedures, the tactics and certain things and how police officers are going to respond to certain types of behavior. Uh, some people have certain boundaries and, you know, depending on your skills, your boundary, your, pers- your, your perspective of a certain situation, you're going to respond in a certain way, depending on your tools, distance, all these things. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I explain these things to people and they, they get it when I break it down, but it's, it's something that, you know, you actually have to take time to explain to people because otherwise they just take what they see and what they hear and they formulate their own opinion out of their own, 
experiences. Well, especially nowadays with social media. And I gotta say, I feel like people are just generally getting lazier. So people don't even read now. They just see a headline and they take those, that line or two and the top of the article and that formulates their opinion. You're like, who wrote that? Look at the sources on that. Because I mean, there, there's people putting stuff out there that also have an agenda and they're making money off of stuff. So you got to be careful with who you trust, what you're reading, what you're believing. Right. Can I, can I say something yeah. on that? Because yeah, go that's ahead. A, that's a touchy point for me right there. It's, <laughs> it's one of the things that, you know, I, I want to believe. I really want to believe and call me naive, but I'm just maybe hopeful. I really want to believe the media wants to do better. And I think there are a lot of journalists out there that are attempting to come out and, and be a lot more informative and, and, and more objective. A lot of the prime time mm-hmm. that are kind of raking in, you know, the paper behind a lot of these situations, I think that is what is cause for uh, concern. Yeah. Um, you know, when you see a headline and I see that it says white cop shoots black man, we have to explain to me why that was even in the, in the headline to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, did race have a specific issue to do with that? Um, was he pressing on his trigger and screaming racial slurs at this person while this was going on? Um, you know, other than that, it, it, it just seems very provocative and, and immediately hits, you know, the, the, the general public in a way where they're saying, ah, it happened again. Yeah. You know, 100%. Ah, you know, they, they did it again. This keeps happening to us. And and again, if you're only seeing it that way and you don't have the information, Nathan, I get it. I get it, which is why I take the time to explain to people, because uh, if not, you very much feel like you might be under attack. Yeah. All right. If you don't have that information and maybe you don't know how to dig, you know, to research it a little bit, or maybe you don't have anybody to talk to. And a lot of times, most people don't have that type of interaction with law enforcement or anybody that they trust enough that's going to be objective and say, no, that's, that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not real. That's not what it is. And the other person was like, ah, you would say that, yeah. <laughs> right. It's that type of thing, which is why I approach things in such an objective way. And, and, and because I want to be trusted that way. Um, I don't lean to either side. Uh, I don't care how you feel about it. I'm telling you what it is. Yeah. Uh, this is what it is. Take it, take it, what, you know, take what, uh, what you want from it and make a, you know, make a good decision. Uh, whether it's about your safety or whether it's about police reform, you do that. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what to do, nor am I going to take you take one side or the other. I'm just going to make sure that you are as informed as you can possibly be mm-hmm. uh, in these types of situations. Yeah. And you know what? I think, well, that's why I like a lot of the content that you put out. And I think it's very valuable. Nice. I haven't seen anyone else doing those type of things. And uh, I'd say at the, um, what would be the word? Like at the level of production that you do it at. So the videos are very good. The messaging is very good. Um, I think the biggest thing that I get out of it, and when we get into the Black Sanctuary and then the book, is that you're putting the agency back in the person's hands. You're saying you have control in these situations where a lot of the narratives, like we even get this in the media up here, um, uh, where they just put out articles saying, you know, they'll interview a black guy and he'll just say, I'm just scared to drive around. And when police drive by me, I start shaking and I'm uh, scared of this. I'm scared of that. And it's like, but based on what and what interaction have you had that, that uh, justifies that? But they'll, they'll print that and then that starts scaring people. And they think, 
I don't have control in this situation. All of this, everything that happens to me is up to somebody else. And it's like, no, that you have a role to play. Um, you control a lot of the outcome of what goes on. And 99.9% .9 of police interactions, there's millions of them in each of our countries every day, go totally smoothly and good relationships yep. are built. Uh, so why are we only, you know, taking that 0.1% or whatever it might be and saying, this is the example, this is the, the new norm or something. So, yeah, I think uh, you're putting it out there really well. If it bleeds, it leads, right? Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. That's, 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 you know, a lot of the unfortunate approach. And so it becomes a repetitive cycle. Um, you know, an incident happens, people watch the incident, they're outraged, they see the provocative headlines, uh, they, it's, it's put on social media, then you go on social media, you comment, mm -hmm. you react to it, you forward it, you share it, uh, they play it at top of the hour, every hour for the next 10 days to two weeks, mm -hmm. right? Um, then, you know, they come back and revisit that. Then you see it on YouTube and, uh, a couple of months later and you're like, Oh, I never saw this. And then you start commenting on it. It keeps going and going yeah. and going. And, it, and, and so if you're a black, you know, if you're black, black American, Canadian, wherever you are, you're at, and this is what the focus is. If that's all you see, then that that's your reality, right? This is always happening because literally think about it, especially during COVID. All right. Everybody's stuck in the house. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you keep seeing black people getting killed by police. And if you don't know what I know, and I'm like looking at it objectively, I'm not looking at it as, oh, you know, we're under attack. I didn't, I never looked at it that way. I looked at it objectively, like what happened here? And, but if you don't know, that's how you're going to see it. And so I got those same phone calls, exactly what you're talking about. I had friends and family, um, folks calling me from all over the country. Yeah. Eric, why is this happening to us, to us, right? Yeah. Why did they do him like that? You know, why didn't they just do this? And here's the thing. And this is where, and this was the beginning of the Black Sanctuary, which is a good segue. This was the beginning because I got so many phone calls and I kept explaining the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then I'm yelling at the television and I'm arguing <laughs> with Don Lemon and, and uh, Rachel Maddow, and I'm arguing with Tucker Carlson. I'm arguing with everybody. I'm like, no, you said this, but you didn't say the other part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you, you got to give it all. And, and depending on who called me, I would know exactly who they watched and where they got it from. Right. That's and pretty so, good. so it was, yeah. And I would see that and I was like, ah, I get it. Let me explain it to you this way. And, and Nathan, when I would break it down and they would call, call me back, unfortunately, after the next incident happened, because there were several between 2020 and 2021. And they would call me and say, you know, remember that thing we talked about with the use of force thing? You know, I didn't like what that cop did, but that guy shouldn't have been doing the thing that he did either. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, or someone would say, uh, yeah, he shouldn't have been doing this. And, you know, that officer had to do X, Y, and Z based on what you explained. And I'm like, okay, people actually get it. Yeah. And so, and I saw it working and that's where I started pursuing a little bit more with the black sanctuary and making that, uh, taking that, uh, making that a company. Um, just before we do get into black sanctuary stuff, sure. can you just tell us a bit about your, your, um, transition into law enforcement? So, uh, how, and what you did in there and maybe then oh, yeah. like everybody starts giving you the calls and we talk about the black sanctuary. So 
Sure. What did sure. you do in law enforcement? So I first started, my very first um, experience was when I was 19. I interviewed with the United States courts. And that was pivotal for me because, you know, I was, uh, I, had, I was a psychology major in, in, uh, in college. And around the time that I was thinking about law enforcement or going towards government at that point, I thought about, uh, you know, social work. So I went in, so I did an internship one summer with the United States courts. And that exposed me, but it, it didn't even feel like an internship with just the courts because it was, I was, you know, working with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, the, you know, I was, you know, I would get meetings and be able to sit down and talk as an intern with federal judges. Um, you know, the DEA, the FBI, the ATF, wow. local police, uh, with the U.S. courts, it was pre-sentence, pre-trial, probation. It, you know, I had this totally different view of how this, these things work. And what was really big that happened during that time is I was, during my internship, a buddy of mine from high school walks in and he sees me in a suit and he's in street clothes. And I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. He's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? And I caught a Coke charge. Mm. And I'm like, oh man, he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm working. It's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm working. And I'll never forget his response, Nathan. He looked at me and he was just like, good job, man. You know, wow. just keep, keep going in that direction. I'll never forget that. And just, it, it could have been any type of response that he would have given me at that point. And he was just like, keep doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, and again, these types of things happen and you never forget it. You never forget that. And um, so after that, I was sure that's something I wanted to do. I had two more internships when I was in college. Um, and then I went, uh, when I first left uh, college, when I graduated from college, moved here to Washington State, got dragged out here by a woman who became my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, um, and so, you know, I wanted to, and that my, my plan was to always get a job and work for the Fed somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's just something I knew I wanted to do at that level. Uh, there was a federal hiring freeze, so I ended up getting on with um, the Washington State Department of Corrections, uh, not in the prison. Um, I worked in the field, uh, doing field investigations, um, prison release, um, uh, offender supervision, that type of thing. Um, at that time, if you were driven and very ambitious, you could pretty much do what you wanted. And so I if there were other task force opportunities and that's what I started. I, I started pursuing those types of opportunities. Um, there was a offender reentry opportunities. Uh, I remember uh, the Washington state put out a memo that there was a $25 million uh, budget for offender reentry. Mm-hmm. And me being me, I looked at it and I was like, 25 million bucks. I could do that's free. <laughs> and I went and <laughs> saw my boss and I said, man, I could, I could do this. And, and I think, Thank God for him. Stephen McWilliams was his name. And he was very supportive. And a lot of the reason why I'm here, and I had so much, so much experience early on, is because he allowed me to just go with it and follow my passions. Uh, you know, some, some people, some leaders were stifling. They'll stop you. Mm-hmm. He, he really wanted me to grow. And so he was like, all right, that's what you want to do. So I went out to the community. I got chemical dependency, anger management, mental health. Um, child support, life skills, all these things brought them to one place. So when these guys got out of jail, these men and women you know, were released from prison. 
um, they had a place to go to get all of these services instead of just giving them a bus pass and saying, get this done and come back in two weeks or yeah. you're going to be arrested. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and now that's, they, they go back to jail. They start the recurring, reoccurring cycle. You are, um, you're stuck with paperwork and all of that. Now it reduces all of that. Plus all of these providers now have more and more clientele. And so everybody wins. And so uh, this was taken over by another young lady later uh, later on, a couple of years later. And as far as I know, it's still going on uh, here in Seattle. I think on the second or third Wednesday of every month, nice. um, they still do the same thing. And uh, this has been years now, uh, over, over a decade. So doing things like that, um, I had uh, a work task force with a, a Renton Police Department. I started off as a liaison, and then I started working on the spec ops division, uh, doing street crimes. Then I worked for the U.S. Marshals um, after that for three years. Um, I During that time, I worked another task force, and that was a different type of situation. But then uh, I was also a use of force instructor during that time. Um, I was one of the lead use of force instructors for the state. I would basically train the instructors to train officers mm-hmm. uh, in self-defense and um, and shooting firearms. That was uh, something that was that really helped me because now I started getting called to do more things. Um, I was on a, a they, they had another initiative in Seattle, uh, the Youth Violence Prevention, Youth Gang Violence Prevention Initiative. That's something that uh, was also. Uh, pretty pivotal for me because I had way more relationships at that time um, throughout the government, uh, city government, federal government, uh, state government, just to, you know, in law enforcement to be able to um, have more impact in the community. And I started seeing how these types of things could be done. Um, and uh, so I did that for about a year and a half. Um, then my last post with uh, back at the courts, U.S. courts, uh, doing an investigation. And, um, that was it. I was, uh, I, I left there, went into, uh, executive protection, did mm-hmm. that for a few years, um, protecting some very well-known wealthy folks. Um, you know, Seattle has a few billionaires and, uh, you know, uh, we did some of that stuff around, the, you know, we, we monitored that type of thing around the world too. And, uh, after that, I, came into and I started doing things on my own. I started my own private on security company doing um, uh, physical security assessments. And then after that, I started doing this. And that security is also part of the Black Sanctuary mm. uh, as far as uh, teaching people safety and security. So, yeah. So uh, do you kind of maintain any courses or education on that side of things then? Like you still go and do some courses in relation to, is it like firearms or protection or what, what might it be oh sure yeah i i still do um you know firearms training uh so i worked with uh so i've been doing uh for 17 years i've been doing use of force uh training so i I've trained with another company a private company uh that were basically a special operations cadre uh, of instructors mm. and i trained with them for i trained with them early on in my career which also helped kind of catapult me into into other opportunities because people like people uh people like officers that are um you know tactically competent yeah and have that knowledge and have that skill set and i tell you working with veterans special military operators man <laughs> uh it there was nothing i didn't even realize how special that was going to be until i started achieving that skill set and then it 
once people started seeing it, you know, when we were training and things like that, I mean, I stood out again, I became one of the lead instructors uh, for the state. And, uh, you know, it's something that it really helped me. And so now I still train with them when we do. Uh, so I do some private you know, training with them. They own the companies uh, that, uh, that I train for. Awesome. Well, that's awesome stuff. So people start coming to you, calling you and uh, asking what's going on in the world. You start up the blanks, the black sanctuary. So can you tell us the, a little bit about that and kind of the nuts and bolts of how this developed and what that looked like? Sure. Uh, you know, the, it was a lot of the, the phone calls that I got. I, again, it, was, it frustrated me, you know, just yelling at the television, having these conversations all the time. And to be honest, Nathan, I thought I should have done this years ago. Mm-hmm. I kind of kicked myself a little bit, but maybe I was, maybe I just wasn't ready, but I thought somebody else should do it. You know, I just knew it needed to be done. And this was one of the things that I had no intention on doing. Um, I was living a very private life. I was never on social media, never even had a social media account until I did this. And it was one of the things that I, you know, I, I really enjoyed, like not really being involved, kind of being on the outside of things, but you know, at some point you feel like you have a duty to step up. And yes. that's when I, I wanted to do that. Um, that same year, 2020, I, there were a couple of companies that wanted people in law enforcement or, you know, folks that had that some type of background to come in and talk uh, to their companies, because, you know, there were a lot of people that were upset about what they were hearing and seeing. And I was, you know, called for a couple of those things and did a couple of presentations I remember one of them was supposed to be an hour presentation and 30 minutes Q&A. We did Q&A. It was an hour presentation, but the Q&A went on for almost two hours. Wow. And, and I was like, okay, again, all the phone calls I got, now I'm doing a Q&A for two hours. Another company that I did a presentation with brought me back just for a Q&A. Oh, really? Uh, so again, I'm like, okay. People want to know this. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm very middle of the road. So, and I understand how the aesthetics of this, I'm a black man. There's, these are black folks that are involved in a lot of the things that people are seeing. Um, there's a large racial, um, there's very big, there's a very big racial component to how people see this. And, and I understand how people see it. They're like, okay, it's different hearing it from him. And, but they're not getting one side or the other. And I won't go to one side or the other. I don't care what people try to do. Yeah. You're not going to categorize me. I'm telling you, this is what it is. You make your own decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I give you my opinion, I'll tell you it's my opinion before, um, before anything else. But that's not what I like to try to teach. Um, so I saw that, saw that happening, saw that it was great. Following year, I had my first town hall, first and only town hall at uh, four different police departments, um, uh, four different chiefs that were involved in that town hall. And it was with the community. Again, a lot of great questions. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a big push for this, uh, this type of thing. And I saw it happening. I did the research, see if there was competition. Nobody was really out there doing that. And actually, it wasn't even competition I was looking for. It was almost looking for a reason to not do it, mm-hmm. right? Because somebody mm-hmm. else was doing it. And I, I didn't see it. And I, it was even more and more uh, like, all right, man, we need to get out here and uh, start doing that. And so, I did. I called it the Black Sanctuary um, because of kind of what you said earlier. I heard so many people, especially Black folks, saying, you know what? I'm scared every time I see the police or I see the lights or I hear sirens and I, I, I'm afraid. And I couldn't imagine feeling like that all the time. But again, knowledge, my knowledge mm-hmm. keeps me from the fear. 
And so when I talk to people about this, it's I'm educating you, but I'm also hoping that it's it's giving you a reason to not be afraid, right? A lot of times we're scared of things we don't understand. Exactly. I'm helping you understand it so you can make sense of it, make sense of it. And now, now you can approach it in a in a more uh, in a realistic and educated manner. And you can decrease that that fear every time you see blue and red lights or you hear a siren or uh, some police officer comes up behind you. They're not even coming for you. They're going for someone else, right? And and I don't want people to feel that way. And so I call it the Black Sanctuary because it, there was largely, you know, the um, you know the black population that has this disproportionate, you know, relationship with law enforcement. Um, there's been these issues disproportionately, and that I wanted to be my primary um, target group. But at the same time, it, the law applies. I know the law applies to everybody. Okay. And yeah. so it's, so I would say all citizens and especially black Americans, um, because I want everyone to listen to what I have to say. And to be honest, I was a little bit nervous about calling it the black sanctuary. Cause I didn't think about, think anybody would want to hear me, but people get it right. Like white, black, brown tan whoever mm-hmm. people get it right and they're like you know what we get it man and and i've had a lot of great support in, in doing this do you get uh do you do get a lot of other people from whether they're hispanic white whatever it might be you get get a bunch reaching out to be honest I, like like i said I'm, I'm very candid about things man i i was surprised that because i thought it was going to be primarily black folks right i was going to hear black from black people all the time it's not the case um, you know, I hear from everyone uh, all the time. And, and and it was shocking because I, I thought it was going to be something different. It, it uh, I realize now, again, I should have thought about it. But when I did those, you know, the, the uh, presentations with those companies in 2020, you know, they're, they're predominantly white crowds. Yeah. They had a few black employees, you know, that were there that would be involved when I say a few. Um, less than 10%. And, and, you know, and, and I would, and I would see that, but they, again, these are the calls that I was on the longest yeah. uh, that I, you know, when I was talking to people and I should have known that, but I didn't really think about it. But I, you know, I hear from people all the time from all, you know, from uh, different backgrounds, different organizations, you know, whether they're predominantly black or, uh, you know, minority, you know, organizations, it's, I hear from everyone. And I didn't expect that, but I, I love it because people get the message, obviously, and it, and it touches everyone. Well, I think that shows just how open people are too, right? Everybody is, you have that curious factor. Uh, as the white person, I don't grow up in a black household. I wonder what goes on in there. I want to know the, the ins and outs, just as it might be the same way. But that's why you're going to get those crowds asking the most questions. Whereas if you just have like a 100% black crowd, well, they either know it already or they're going to suppose that they know it already. So you might not get mm-hmm. those kind of questions. Because you get a different crowd is going to give you different questions. I would, I would kind of anticipate, you know, the different ethnic group or the different race, they're going to ask way more stuff. One thing that I thought was interesting is how you're saying you're driving people toward educating themselves. Essentially, um, you fear what you don't know. You're afraid of the dark. Like, you got to rationalize some of these things. I think the biggest thing is getting people to seek out that education piece. So if I'm afraid of something, um, why am I afraid? And maybe I should go talk to those type of people or that occupation, learn something about it. I think that's the biggest component is 
it's, it's just like you would see with kids, maybe, you know, they don't understand something. They're afraid of it. But once you explain it or you demonstrate it, then they might slowly kind of uh, warm up to it. So maybe it's kind of like a uh, same psychological stuff, even with adults, right? Yeah, you know, and that's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm trying to do is make sure that it, you know, I, I want people to be able to do their own research. And so I talk, when I talk about things, you know, if you've seen, you know, you've seen some of the content, I talk about laws, I talk about case law, I talk about policies, I talk about use of force, the use force model, I talk about being, you know, traffic stops. Um, I talk a little mm-hmm. bit about police reform and and how to pursue, how to, you know, think about some of these things uh, from a more uh, objective reality type of perspective. Um, I want people to do that because I don't want you just to Google something to get someone else's opinion. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to look up the law and I don't, you don't need to be a lawyer to understand a lot of these things. Um, because here's the thing is if you're going to pr- pursue police reform, I think you should probably know what it is that you're asking for. Um, you know, again, people know, like I, I had no problem making that video about chokeholds and I, I disagreed with the ban on chokeholds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get my opinion in that because it's one of the things that I think is dangerous. It's something that should be trained and it's not, it, it wasn't, it's something that should be trained better, not, you know, feared and banned because yeah. now you're taking away a lower, a uh, less than lethal, um, type of, you know, uh, you know, self-defense. Yeah. And, self-defense too and so i mean it's it's something that people didn't understand because they they see it it looks terrible um you're choking someone right you know they're using this verbiage instead of mm-hmm. lateral vascular neck restraint lbnr um they're not saying that and people don't understand that and so now we have this issue and again if you understand it and i tell you what it is oh okay mm-hmm. i get it <laughs> you know, I shouldn't have been uh, pushing for this thing because now here we are in Washington State um, and, you know, all of the amendments, a lot of the amendments they made, Nathan, they're, they're having to re-amend them yeah. uh, because there was a knee-jerk reaction uh, to a lot of things that people just didn't understand. And, uh, you know, and again, that's so when I talk to people about these things, I want them to be able to go into this conversation with their congressperson, their state senator, their, their governor, mayor, police chief, whoever, um, that are making these decisions. I want you to actually know what you're talking about so you can get the reform that you want. Because now we here, here we are in Seattle, um, and I've had a, I've known the Seattle police chief long before he was a police chief. Uh, great guy, Adrian Diaz, Chief Diaz. And, you know, <laughs> He, uh, you know, they're in a tough situation Mm -hmm. because, you know, they lost a lot of, a lot of officers, um, you know, do for several reasons, but it didn't help that they, you know, did the whole defunding, uh, deal. And now you, and then they changed a lot of the, they amended a lot of, uh, you know, things for police reform, a lot of laws. So now you got officers that are just about handcuffed to their steering wheel and can't go pursue people that they need to pursue. Yeah. And now crime is through the roof and you got businesses that want to leave because the shops are getting broken into, broken into and all of these things. It's, you know, there's, there's a, an effect that people weren't thinking about. Um, and I kind of compared to the 94, uh, you know, violent crimes act, uh, the, the crime bill 94, uh, that they always want to blame on the Clintons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not that it's, you know, the black, you know, the black uh, congressional caucus actually backed that. Right. Because yeah. it was a knee jerk reaction to all of the crack and crime that was related to crack around the country. Uh, a lot of the drugs and the crime and the shootings and 
kids being killed, cops being killed, all of these things. We got to do something about this. Let's go ahead and and uh, you know put in mandatory minimums and all of these things. And they didn't think about how it was going to affect you know long term. And all of a sudden, now you got mass incarceration that everybody wants to talk about, but you didn't think about it at the mm. time. You have to educate yourself on these things before you go making these decisions, whether it's for political reasons to appease your constituents. I don't know. I'm not going to say. <laughs> Just saying, you got to think about that before you go, you know, screaming to your politicians and they're going to end up making a decision for you if you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And people don't realize there's like a second, third order effects, right? There's layers to this. So, and, and people are people. You change something if they don't like it they're going to find a way around it. Now they're doing something else. Now you got to worry about that and that causes other issues. So people just got to maybe uh, slow down a little bit and instead of the screaming and shouting, yeah, just kind of uh, think, okay, if I want this, what are some of the consequences uh, as a result? That kind of brings me on to a point I, I wanted to make sure we got to was um, just some of the media narratives. I'll, I'll say mainstream media because you did have a good point there earlier. Uh, and I have a lot of journalist friends that are good at what they do and dig into things, but the mainstream media who's kind of putting out the clickbait and different things, do you, um, do you see yourself as trying to counter those type of narratives that are out there? Is this like a, a is this a fight that you're taking on? Uh, because I imagine a lot of people that come to you with questions, that's going to be their source. So they're saying they're regurgitating whatever they see on those sources. And this is kind of the, the fight that you got to. So is this, is this just what the Black Sanctuary is about, is kind of combating that? Yes, it's, it's definitely a challenge to, to them. Um, you know, I think the best way, I, and I, it, I can't tell one of these major networks, I can't get them to do anything, but I can, if I can get enough people Mm -hmm. to start thinking a different way, right? And if I can get them to start educating themselves, at least they'll know how to how to observe and how to uh, take this content and, and process it in a way that it's not going to just, they're just going to take it and say, oh, that's what it is and take that for, you know, for fact. Uh, I, I don't want that to happen. I want people to be able to look at these things and make a better decision and be able to, you know, kind of filter some of the things that they hear. Um, so yeah, you know, that I'm doing that in an indirect way where I'm not going directly at them saying, you know, it's not, it's not a campaign saying change your message. They're never going to do that. They make too much money off of that. Right. Yeah. Are you kidding me. Um, but at the same time, if I can, when I tell people, think about that headline, you know, when they call me or they say something or somebody brings something up in a, in a group or in a meeting or, uh, at an event and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But let's break that down. And when I do, it, again, it, I never get in the argument. Yeah. <laughs> again, because I'm always approaching it from an objective point. I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's a, a political thing. It's a liberalist conservative. And it might be if you get into it, but I'm not even going to touch it. I'm like, you're going to have to make your own decision based on this information. And when I do, you're going to start scratching your head like, ah, yeah, I get that. Because nobody else is going to say that. So when you when you look, when you go back to the media now, when you go back to that, you look at it and you're saying, okay, you know, yeah, I like watching this show, but yeah, that, that part right there is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, exactly. I want you to call it out. Um, but the cool thing about some of these journalists that, um, that have that level of integrity, I love it because, you know, I love reading some of their reporting 
when they actually start digging into the statistics. And, um, and then, you know, again, depending on how you feel, right, uh, you're going to, you're going to make a decision about, you know, how, how, how you react to that. I like hearing the objective information. Some mm-hmm. people, they won't argue with me because, again, I'm objective, but they don't say anything. They're just like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? there's, there's not much to say. You know, and I think that's what I want. Uh, I, I want to see going forward, and especially this younger generation uh, that I'm able to interact with now um, through, you know, the Black Sanctuary, especially with the with my book, The Police and Me. Um, I'm having an opportunity now to have these conversations with younger and younger people, and and again, if I can start changing their minds early on, uh, so this isn't as much of a trend, you know, later on. You know, hopefully, I can have that level of impact. But if we can do that, I think we're we're going to be in a really good position going forward. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Are you on like a hard oh, hour? Good. You're good for a bit, okay? Because I want to ask one question before we get to the book. Take your time. Um, with it, kind of along the the lines of narratives and stuff. So um, I'm kind of thinking: is this like a help or a hindrance uh, question? But is BLM stuff? Is that, would you say in, in totality with the media narratives that are out there, the mainstream media, BLM, has that overall been a help or a hindrance to the black community? Or is it too broad of a question? <laughs> it might be just a very general, but that's a, I'm seeing what you're doing. And then I, I've looked at their website and they push like a different I- ideology. They are telling you to tear down institutions. Um, whereas I see on your side of things, you really offer solutions. You're like, yeah, all these things have happened, but let me empower you to go forward from here. Whereas I find a lot of the stuff that's out there right now is basically, let's go back, you know, two, 300 years and let's kind of dwell in the past. And that is representative today, which it's like, like you said earlier, the law applies equally to people. And it's written that way as well. Yeah, you get some uh, outliers, you get some skewing of things. 100% that that happens. But it's not, it's not 300 years ago. Like, it's a very different no. world. So what is your kind of take on that world of things right now? Yeah, um, this is my opinion. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't want to get a uh, protest going these, outside your house or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I mean, here's the thing again. I mean, I'm very, uh, you know, it's, it, it, you can't really debate it. I mean, if you look at how it was handled and it actually taught me a few lessons, um, about how I pursued the black sanctuary, you know, with black lives matter, you know, that was something that they didn't control the narrative right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, in the, you know, I, I think, uh, it's the statement in itself, Black Lives Matter. Of course, yes. Um, but at the same time, uh, they didn't really kind of frame what it really meant. Mm-hmm. People had their own definition for what it meant. And so now you, you start to lose control of it. And now you got chapters popping up around in the country, around the country. Yes. And, you know, all around the U.S. And one person, you know, one chapter thinks this way. and They, they think this way. And they're pursuing this thing that might be, you know, uh, it might be helpful. It might be extremely hurtful and radical, whatever it depends, but nobody, they took this message and just ran with it. And, and then, you know, again, because there was no really defining it, it became blue lives matter, white lives matter, my, my dog's life matter, all (laughs) guns matter, right. It became 
all of these things. And people really didn't think about that. Um, they didn't think about that early on. So that's why very early I started thinking like, okay, look, if I'm going to put the black anything in anything. Um, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to define what I'm talking about mm -hmm. very clearly. And so I thought about that very early on. As far as, far as how it has helped or hurt the black community, you know, it, it, again, it's just my perspective based on what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've seen, uh, what I've read and researched. You know, I, I, I think that it has brought a lot of awareness, not just to the black community, but to the world. Yeah. And, and, and different conversations started happening behind this term, Black Lives Matter. Um, you would see, you know, people, some people started showing their, you know, uh, no pun intended, their true colors, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody would see a sign, Black Lives Matter, and they would tear it down and have a fit about it, right? And you're like, oh, okay, you know, where'd that come from? Uh, mm -hmm. You started getting these types of conversations. Interestingly enough, a lot of white folks started educating themselves around certain things, you know, and it's always interesting when some, you know, my white friends and associates are like, oh, Derek, have you read this book? <laughs> sure, you know, I also lived that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's these types of uh, conversations that you have. And, and, you know, so, I mean, I think it was great for that, for in, in that way. On the other side of it, you know, it it wasn't really helpful. Um, you know, people don't realize they made a couple billion dollars in donations since 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where that money went, and that that to me is is horrible. Yeah, because you know people gave money to this. You know, whether these companies gave, like uh, Ford Motor Foundation gave 200 million dollars, mm. 200 million just themselves, and it's you know, and then again, you know, I'm thinking about all the things that I'm doing you know, out of one grant that I received and my bank account and friends, um, you know, uh, a professional video series, um, you know, a, a children's book I put out, yeah. you know, all of these things, you know, these events that I try to, all these things that, that I'm able to do and I'm doing it because it's, I know it's the right thing to do. And, and I see that and it, that really upset me because I'm looking at it like you didn't do anything to help anyone that mm -hmm. um you know and again i won't get into what they spent the money on that's a different conversation but the point is is uh there could have been more that was done and it kind of feels like and i hear this a lot in the black community but it felt like a scam yeah you know it felt like a scam overall to a lot of people and and to be honest you know in certain ways it definitely did to me too uh just for that just for that reason um but again i more than focus on that more than focus on that and i i don't spend a lot of time talking about them to be honest um it taught me a lot of lessons and how to per pursue what i'm doing and in a positive way and to make sure that i'm smart about messaging mm -hmm. and that i'm not picking sides and that i'm focusing on things that can actually be changed i'm not going to try to change your ideology i'm not going to even try to pursue that all right if you feel like you're racist or whatever the case may be you know, I, I'm not going to spend time chasing that, mm -hmm. um, but I, I know what's written. I do know that. And I know what that means. And I can help explain it to you. And I can tell you where it came from with case law. And I can tell you if you want to change it, these are the steps that you need to make. That's how we work on changing things. Um, you know, and I think, you know, when we get into these, uh, you know, these very broad statements about, you know, race and cops and burn it all down and start over that, you know, it, it tells me you really haven't done your research because if you, if you're just looking at history versus 
uh, the law and what is written, what you actually have control of. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a, a lot of the things, the rights that we have, the opportunities that we have, um, you know, and, and the rights and opportunities give you power. And so if you understand yeah. that, then you can actually make moves that are going to be effective. But I kind of feel like some of these things are just redundant that I hear. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before. And where's that gotten me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I do know if I, if I teach you how to, how to, um, you know, interpret some of these things, you don't like, again, you don't need a law degree to understand it the way I break it down. Uh, the way I break it down, you just understand it and say, okay, this is, this is how it applies to me. Uh, to me, my children, I can explain it to them, my friends, my family, how I pursue police reform or whatever, or how I, inter- how I interact with cops. I can get it done like that, right? As opposed to trying to take on this large ideological idea. Yeah, 100%. And it's empowering people. Again, we're, uh, it always seems to come back to that, you know, having agency over your life and um, just taking some initiative and being responsible for your own decisions, really. You know, you yep. want to make something happen, then, you know, take the right steps and make it happen. Um, so it kind of brings us to uh, your book. Uh, I want to make sure we get onto this because I, I read it. I, li- uh, I really liked it. I thought Thanks, every man. page had a good message that you could essentially take every page and turn that into like a whole discussion. So mm-hmm. can you tell us how the book came to be and um, some of the messaging in there? Yeah, um, so, so the police and me. Um, it's it's my first and only uh, children's book. I, uh, I I really enjoyed doing this. It was um, I, I didn't it didn't take me long to write because it it all I had to do was think about how I would talk to my kid, mm. and, you know uh, my you know my little guy, and you know the things that he sees and how he sees. You know he, he's of course everybody thinks their kids are brilliant, right? He is a smart kid, right? And so I think about how he, uh, the things he understands. And and I, when I wrote this, he was three. And I loved his reaction to just seeing me kind of go through the process. Um, and so I would talk to him about certain things as I was writing the book. And, you know, I was talking to him. And, and at three, you know, he was able to understand certain things. And, you know, no, this is what you don't do. No, you don't do this. Uh, you should always do this. And I'm like, very good. You know, and he would get that. I'm like, cool. And, and it, you know, and it was easy to get that part to get done. Um, and it just made sense. And the way that I explained it to him, I think parents could explain it to anyone. Of course, there's a black father and son on the cover. Um, you know, and I, I was, you know, I was thinking about that. But I, after a while, I didn't care. I just wanted, I wanted, you know, it to be, relevant to what was going on right now. And yes, my target population uh, initially has, well, it still is, you know, Black Americans or Black people in general, because I want folks to think about police and police interaction in a different way. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not trying to make you love police. I don't care if you love police or you hate police. or That's on you. I'm trying to make sure that everybody gets home safely. Yeah. All right. Um, I want that interaction, that encounter to end safely. I don't care if you're going to jail. At least everybody's going in one piece. All right. Um, And so, you know, the book was was worded that way. Um, I remember there was an illustrator that I wanted to work with and he didn't want to work with me because it 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 wasn't based on race. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand the law, man. Yeah. Yeah. I was, and I was really irritated because I I like, I love this guy's work, Mm -hmm. but to work with me, you have to be 
about what I'm doing. You have to be down for, for what I'm trying to talk about and for my cause. Mm. And, and, you know, if you're not about that, then I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want to work with you either. But it, it told me something. I'm like, all right. And so when he said that, he was like, yeah, it, you could, he literally said, you could put anybody, it could be white, black, or anyone. And I was like, yeah, I did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to get out of that. And so I was happy with it, you know, even though he didn't want to work on it, he got the message. And so, um, so I was glad with that. I was happy about that. Found a great illustrator. Uh, that was a really fun process this, you know, because I wanted the likeness to be of, uh, you know, you know, my son and I, and, uh, he, uh, the, the little boy looks a lot like my son, um, well, looks very much like him. I aged him for the book just so we could have better dialogue. Yeah. And it was, it was great just, you know, seeing. Uh, how that developed. Uh, her name is uh, Sandra Fuertes, and she's from Spain. And she was actually, she's actually uh, speaks English as a second language. And so it was, um, so we couldn't talk, mm. right? We had one Zoom conversation and, you know, she, she, you know, she's, I thought she spoke English fine, but she didn't feel comfortable with it. Okay. So I was like, all right. And so I had to think very, you know, very, uh, I had to be very detailed about my approach with the pictures and and it, it actually turned out perfectly because every submission that she made was almost perfect from the get-go um and then putting it out you know nathan again i i didn't it was something i did because i knew it needed to be done i just didn't know how people were going to react to it and it, it's been awesome you know i just did a uh an event on sunday with uh, jack and jill uh incorporated uh, they are a 50,000 family, a 50,000 member group of families around the country, uh, black families uh, that focus a lot of, on ch- child growth and development that they, they bought 25 books for the kids. And I mm. did, you know, I always do a Q and a after I read with them and sometimes during the reading, that was great. I talked to three, I went to schools and done three, four, uh, five, three, four and five year olds. I've had um, done readings for, um, you know, it's just like, and then, you know, pal, the police athletic league, uh, just bought 250, uh, books back in New York. I'm going to be going out there end of the month and meeting with a lot of the city officials there and police department and, uh, things like that. Like, you know, and they're giving those books out to all the kids. Yeah. And so every time I see these, these big orders, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. These are all future potential police encounters yeah. that are going to go great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you know, these are future taxpayers. These are future uh, you know, occupants of their city and, mm-hmm. and citizens that they know the importance of, you know, police and they know how to interact with them, like them or not, that's on you, but at least you know what to do and what's right and how to handle these types of things. And so, um, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, way more fun than I ever thought that this would be, uh, being an author of this type of book. I've seen, uh, a couple adults post in reviews saying it was informative for them. <laughs> so even for that yeah, age range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just cool because that was part of the reason why I wrote the book because I would have black parents, uh, you know, I had black parents come to me saying, I have a teenager that's about to start driving. I have no idea what to say and I'm scared to death. And I'm like, you don't need to be, you know, I, let me tell you what to do. Um, I had teenagers telling me that they didn't want to get their license because they were scared of, of being pulled over by police. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're missing out on, you know, a, a great freedom that we have to drive yeah. because of something you just don't understand. Um, and so, and then I had, and 
but the reason why people, you know, adults can learn from it is I had people saying that, had a parent saying, I don't know what to do when I get pulled over, Derek. How am I going to tell my kid what to do? Yeah. And and I'm like, okay, so there's a scene in there where I get pulled over. My son, Duke, he it's all told from his perspective, and he sees everything that I do. Uh, you know, when I get pulled over, he sees all of my actions. He notices my demeanor, that I'm calm. And um, he, he sees, you know, where, you know, I roll down the window, I turn off the stereo, take out the keys, put them on the dash, I put my hands at, on top of the steering wheel. I tell him where to put his hands and all of these things. And he sees everything, but he's still anxious about the entire um, encounter, which is why we get into the lessons of the book. But you know, that's how I went about it. And that's the reason why was a lot because of the parents and different adults were saying, I don't even know what to do, you know, when, when it comes down to this. So, and I thought that was, again, that was something I, I was naive about. Mm. It's something I know. And so I just figured more people knew about that. Uh, although we're seeing the reactions of people on television, I'm, I'm seeing that I'm seeing that people uh, don't know that they need to give their license to the police officer when you get pulled over even though you're operating a motor vehicle, right? Um, yeah, you, you, need to just, you need to give them your license. And so little things like that, uh, you know, I'm hoping that people learn, and I'm going to be talking more about in uh, the next part of the video series, um, getting more into detail. Uh, but, you know, this is something that I think the book was, has been more helpful to people than I, than I imagined. I really didn't know people were going to react to the way that they have to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it keeps getting better, and it's pretty cool. Well, maybe you can uh, help us out and uh, do some driver education and just teach people how to pull over. People just stop in the middle of the road. People pull to the left. People go to the right. You're just like, where did, is there no driver education anymore? People just do whatever. It's insane. So, Yeah, they don't teach it. They don't teach it. And that's uh, that's part of the research. So that's something else I have coming up. Um, You'll see later on, but uh, it's something that, uh, I did the research on, and they don't they don't do that. So when I looked around all of the states, only one state, I think it's Virginia or West Virginia, has a quick little, like a two sentence, like a short paragraph on what to do when you get pulled over. Oh, really? And it's very basic. It's very simple. That's it. Out of all the states, that we didn't see anything, any drivers' manuals, uh, drivers' education manuals that really identified that and so you know i've already been at work on that it's about 85 percent done uh but we're taking it to another level on top of that mm-hmm. you'll be seeing and um cool there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming out of black sanctuary man man with all the stuff going on in the today's world you think that would somebody would have changed that by now and made that like a whole chapter or whatever it's going to be but that's surprising <laughs> um glad they didn't it, yeah yeah <laughs> now i got something to do Hey, you're a guy of solutions and getting things done. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I want to make sure we give you time to, uh, say how people can follow you, find you, uh, like see all your work. Uh, is there anything we missed though, before we get to that? I think we kind of covered everything we were uh, looking at getting to today. Um, no, I think we, I think we covered, we covered a lot. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We talked about background. We talked about, you know, my experience and then, uh, personal and professional experience. We talked about uh, the Black Sanctuary, how it got started, the book, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. But as far as, you know, how you can follow me, uh, my uh, my handles are at the Black Sank, S-A-N-C, at the Black Sank uh, for Instagram, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, 
you can contact us at contact at the black sanctuary.com. Uh, so yeah, we have uh, the YouTube channel, uh, the black sanctuary YouTube channel, uh, has, you know, the first part of the video series and, you know, we're going to be doing more, uh, of that quality, but I'm also going to be doing some more frequent videos. Uh, we have a couple of series that are coming out. Uh, we've been, been working. So, yeah. uh, there's a lot that needs to be addressed that I, I hope people, I really hope people start paying attention to, you know, um, I understand and I try to make it more edutainment, right? Because I know that's what people like and that's what they pay attention to. Um, but I, I want to be realistic. You know, I, I see a lot of these, uh, I, I learned that they're called cop watchers. These people that, excuse me, they, um, they record their interactions with cops yeah. or they'll see police officers inter, inter, interacting with someone and then they stop and record and they kind of instigate the situation, and, uh, that type of thing. And then they post it hoping to go, that it goes viral. They yeah. get a hundred thousand or a couple million views. Yeah. We get that all the time. it's there's an entire thing out there uh i'm trying to be the antithesis to that um there's there's we have a lot coming out um you know because somebody's going to get hurt uh listening to Mm -hmm. these folks that uh really don't know what they're talking about (laughs) and and i've seen certain things i actually watched one of these nathan and uh it was a horrible the guy could have gotten himself hurt those officers were extremely patient and, 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 and professional. And I'm glad they were, uh, because he was, he <laughs> it was ridiculous. And his, and they, uh, there was another cop watcher that interviewed him after this whole thing, after his video came out. And there was something he said during the traffic stop about displaying his license. And she says, where did you get that from? He got it from another cop watcher. Yeah. 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 It wasn't something that he researched. It wasn't actually a law. He didn't know how to articulate it. I got it from this person and his whole demeanor. He got from watching someone else and, and it's, and it's dangerous. Yeah. And I don't want a kid. I don't want a teenager that's scared about getting pulled over watching one of these folks, um, uh, doing something like that and they're going to end up getting themselves hurt. So uh, we're spending, you know, some good time, you know, going through some of this stuff and making sure that people are properly educated and uh, countering some of these narratives. Great stuff, man. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the time. If we, I want to say thanks for coming on is great. We can connect. Mm-hmm. Technology is a wonderful thing. Yes, <laughs> it is. Connecting from far away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on today. And if you could just hang on the line, I'll say by offline, I'll stop the uh, recording. All right.